If you have your Bibles, we're going to be returning to Matthew 6 today. And so let's go ahead and, and turn to the Word of God. Imagine, if you will, two men who are planning to get Valentine's gifts for their wives. And, you know, chocolates, a bouquet of red roses. The first man gets the gift, brings it to his wife, seeking to surprise her. And, and he's genuinely uh, interested in seeing her reaction. So, you know, he, he silences his cell phone. Uh, he makes his way into the house. You know, he makes sure that uh, to pick a time when not a whole lot of people are around where they can just share a moment together. And so that he can express his love for her without distraction. And so he gives her the gifts, he gives her the flowers, and, and she sees that behind his gifts is a heart that genuinely loves her, and that these gifts are just a small token of his affection for her. But now picture a second man, and, and he gets the same gifts, you know, chocolates, red roses, typical Valentine's gifts. But as he, as he goes about getting his gifts, he's a bit distracted. So he has his phone out and he's, you know, he's videoing himself and he's, he's posting things to, to social media accounts, um, you know, to, to inspire other husbands to, to do what he's doing, of course. Uh, and then he, he goes and he, um, he, he makes sure to bring a buddy with him uh, so that his, his friends can video him as he's giving the flowers and the chocolates to his wife so that he can you know, post her reaction online so that, so that all of his, his friends and his followers on the internet can see what a great husband he is. And so he gives her the gifts and, and you know, this friend is videoing and, you know, he acts all nice. And then, then, it, then, but then he turns his back on her and he, he goes over to his friend and he says, Hey, let me see that video. And, and then for the next half hour, he's posting it on the internet and he's, He's, he's staring at his screen and he's seeing what people are saying about what a great husband he is. And he's, he's smiling, but he's not smiling at his wife. He's turned his back on her and he's, he's more interested in the reactions he's getting from other people. Just imagine how this second uh, wife would feel. She'd probably feel like, okay, he's given me some gifts, but his heart is not really in this. Like he's not really trying to express his love for me. He's, he cares more about what these, these people online are saying um, and the, his, his friends on social media. It's almost as if he's just using me uh, as a way to, to boost himself up in his own ego. The first man genuinely loves his wife and he did what he did because he loved her and he wanted her to know. The second man, sadly, loved himself. And he did what he did and gave her what he gave her because he loved himself and because he wanted others to know how amazing he was. Motives matter, don't they? Motives matter, and they, they matter to God. It's not just what we do, but it's why we do it that matters to God. And when it comes to our religious activity, our good deeds that we do, our praying, our serving in the ministry of the church, 
we need to examine ourselves and ask ourselves, why are we doing what we're doing? Are we like that first husband who is, is genuinely in love with God and he's doing what he's doing, uh, you know, who's doing what he's doing for his wife to express that love for her? Or are we more like the second husband who is, you know, going through the motions of love, but really his heart is elsewhere and it's focused on himself and what people think of him. If you have your Bibles, Look at Matthew chapter 6 this morning, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 18. And again, just for the sake of context, we're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus has been critiquing the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees in recent weeks. Uh, you know, that was what he was doing the second half there of Matthew 5. And now he's critiquing what they do, the way that they do religion. So first he's critiquing what they're saying. Now he's critiquing what they're doing. So look with me in verse 1, Matthew 6 and verse 1. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secrets will reward you. This is the word of God. As we think about Jesus' teaching in these verses this morning, it's helpful to notice that he's making some contrasts. He gives a series of, you know, don't do this. Don't give like the hypocrites. Don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't fast 
like the hypocrites. Instead, do this, do, you know, give in this way, pray in this way, fast in this way. If you look at verse one, what's the first word there? Jesus says, beware. He's giving a warning. And his warning to his audience, uh, which still serves as a warning to us today, still relevant for us, is beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. What's the reason? Why is that a big deal? If you go about practicing your righteousness in that way, you will have no reward, he says, from your father who's in heaven. So that's, that's the general warning that's, that's like the theme that's over all of these verses. And then the praying, the giving, the fasting, those are examples of what Jesus is talking about. And we're going to dig into each one of those. Now, along the way, um, Jesus also gives instruction on how to pray. He gives us the Lord's prayer. Uh, and we're going to cover that Lord willing next Sunday. So verses seven I'm not really going to touch on those much today. We'll look at that next week. Lord willing. One, uh, one pastor has said that one of Satan's most common and effective ways of undermining the power of the church is through hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, therefore, is a great peril to the church, and it comes in two forms. The first is that of non-believers masquerading as Christians, and the second is that of true believers who are sinful but are pretending to be spiritual. The warning Jesus gives applies to both groups. So as you listen this morning, don't be thinking about other people. Try not to think about, you know, oh, I can think of some hypocrites right now. I'm sure that we all can think of some hypocrites. But rather, let's let this word speak to us. Let's let the Holy Spirit examine our own hearts. Because... I fear that all of us, even those of us who truly love Christ, are still sometimes afflicted with the disease of hypocrisy. Sometimes we care too little about what God thinks and too much about what other people think of us. And, and we, we can easily fall into doing what we do for the praise of other people. So what can we do about this? How can we fight this? I believe the the main thrust of Jesus's teaching in these verses could be summed up like this. Here's the contrast Jesus gives. Hypocrites are religious in order to look good. The sincere are religious because God is good. Hypocrites are religious in order to look good. The sincere are religious because God is good. So those will be our, our two main points this morning. And at the end, I'll have some steps of practical application of what we can take away from these, these two main lessons. So first of all, hypocrites are religious in order to look good. In order to look good. Look with me at verse 2. And here we have a hypocrite doing a good deed for another. He's giving in order to meet a need. And Jesus pictures this person 
seeking out a very public place in order to do their bit of good. The synagogues in these days were not just meeting places for Jewish worship and instruction, but they also acted as gathering places. They were community centers of sorts. And so they were very public places. And then uh, he says, the streets there in verse two, that was another place that this person is, is giving. And the word here means a narrow lane or an alley. You know, in such close quarters, it would be very hard to miss someone uh, giving money to a beggar, you know, giving, uh, meeting the need of a poor person. Now, imagine someone blowing a trumpet in a narrow lane or in the middle of a community center. It'd be pretty hard to miss. You know, all, all heads would be turned that way. And Jesus is, he's picturing these people blowing trumpets to announce their good deed, to advertise what they're about to do. And we're not sure if they, if they were literally blowing trumpets uh, to announce their giving, or if Jesus is just speaking figuratively here, like saying, basically, this is what they're doing. You know, it's like they're, the way that they're doing it is, is like blowing trumpets. But whatever the case, the image is memorable and the point is clear. For the hypocrite, the more who see their good deed, the better. Because what they're looking for, as verse 2 says, is that they may be praised by others. As Charles Spurgeon put it, to stand with a penny in one hand and a trumpet in the other is the posture of hypocrisy. You can picture a few people pausing as the, as the hypocrite loudly empties his purse, his bag of coins into the cup of the beggar. And they whisper to each other, wow, what a, what a generous man. But even non-Christians give in this way. We look at all these big companies that will advertise. They'll, they'll let you know all the good causes that they're standing for and all the, the poor, hungry children in Africa that they're helping. And, and it makes sense that they would do so. I mean, everybody, everybody wants to support a, a company that stands for what's right, right? I'm sure there, there are many who, who genuinely care, but a great part of what's going on there is, is a concern, not first and foremost to help people, but to increase profits, to, to boost their reputation as a company. How easily and how often we take an opportunity for doing good and we use it as an opportunity to boost our own image and our own reputation. Our Lord says of such givers, they have received their reward. You know, for the sake of human praise, people may give quite a bit. They may sacrifice a lot. Some people crave honor and a reputation among people so much. You know, they, they want their name to be remembered. They want a place in the history books. They'll cross land and sea and give all they have in order to get that. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, it, at the beginning of the chapter, it pictures someone giving away all they had, and even giving their body to be burned, you know, perhaps to, to save the life of someone else, even giving their own life. And yet all of that effort, all of that sacrifice being wasted, being for nothing. 
what's what's the problem there? First Corinthians 13 says, if you do all of that and you don't have love, it profits you nothing. The point being, people will give a lot and sacrifice a lot. And just because they're giving and sacrificing a lot doesn't necessarily mean that their heart is in the right place and that they are sincere. They may be signs of great love of self and, and, of gaining praise for oneself. Some of the greatest saints will one day be shown to have been the greatest hypocrites. May the Lord help us to examine our own hearts and our own motives to ask ourselves, what is it that we really want? Would it make a difference to us if no one, absolutely no one except God ever found out about our giving? about our service to others? Are we less eager to do good when we know that it won't be seen, that nobody will be watching? Do we get disappointed when people don't notice us? They don't notice the work that we're doing and the service that we're, the, the way in which we're serving. Do we get kind of down, you know, nobody's noticing me. Or are we content that our Lord sees us, that God is watching, and that he will reward us one day? Picture the hypocrite praying. Look at verse 5. Where is the hypocrite praying here in verse 5? It's in the synagogues. Again, the, the public place uh, and at the street corners. And street here is, it means a broad way as opposed to a narrow alley. So here he is at the intersection of, of two busy streets. You know, he's on the, the corner of, of Wall Street and Broadway, so to speak. And there he is with a pious look on his face, you know, gazing towards heaven, praying. Now, as we read this, uh, we shouldn't take this to mean that, that all public prayer is necessarily wrong and that, you know, we, we can't pray when there's other people around, you know, like uh, we can't, we can't do a prayer meeting, for example, or we can't have somebody lead the congregation in prayer. That's not what Jesus is, is focused on here so much. The point that he's getting at is that this person is praying in public for the purpose of being seen praying. Jesus is not condemning uh, public prayer. It's not a sin to be seen praying, but it is a sin to pray in order to be seen. Because the goal of true prayer is to draw near to God, to have an audience with our maker, to, to speak to our heavenly father. Not to put on a religious show for spectators. Such insincere prayers must be really disgusting to God, like the smell of roadkill. You know, King Manasseh in the Old Testament was one of the most wicked kings who ever reigned in Jerusalem. And he grew so bold in his sin that he built altars to, for idolatry in the very temple of God, right there, like a, a slap in God's face. 
But the hypocrite in prayer is not much different than King Manasseh was. For when we pray for the purpose of winning men's praise for ourselves, it's as though we enter into the very throne room of God in order to set up an altar to the idol of self. Those who pray in order to be seen by men so that people will think well of them and think that they're very spiritual should not expect to be heard by God. Though long hours be dedicated to prayer, if the prayer is for, for the purpose of uh, others knowing about it or, or even for just boosting my own self-image and, and helping the way that I feel about myself, we're not really speaking to God. We're not really speaking to our Heavenly Father. And such polluted prayers, they're, they're like, they must be offensive sacrifices to God. We, we may as well not offer them. Jesus says of, of such hypocritical prayers, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Picture the hypocrite fasting, verse 16. You know, they may put themselves through rigorous spiritual disciplines, you know, denying certain things, um, going through voluntary suffering in order to, you know, maybe get closer to God or to grow spiritually. They may do all of that and even then be doing it not really to get closer to God, but, but so that others will think well of them. Jesus pictures the hypocrite there, you know, looking gaunt and, and somber and, you know, letting their hair hang unkept so that people would notice like, wow, they must be going through a time of suffering or fasting. The hypocrites wanted people to recognize at a glance that they must be a very spiritual person. Or at least if they wouldn't know at a glance, maybe they'd ask questions like, hey, are, are you okay? Like, you kind of look a little different this morning. And then there would, it would be the opportunity for them to say, well, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm fasting. You know, just conveniently let them know that fact. Now, again, <clears throat> if we're fasting and, and somebody happens to find out, it's not necessarily as though our, our fasting is wasted and that we've, we've lost our reward, so to speak. But if your hidden hope deep down within your heart is that you will be seen and that somebody, at least somebody other than God, will know what I'm doing, how spiritual I am, well, then you're fasting. You're going through spiritual disciplines as the hypocrites. And you've fallen into hypocrisy. Jesus says of such, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Think about how thoroughly sinful we are as, as human beings and our fallenness, that, that our sin poisons even our best religious acts. You know, truly scripture says, you know, as it says, in and of ourselves, even our righteousness is as filthy rags because our motives are off. You know, even the best things we do in and of ourselves are, are hateful to God. They're worse than that husband who brought his wife flowers 
not because he truly loves her, but in order to boost his own image and reputation. Hypocrites are religious in order to look good. But in contrast to the hypocritical, the sincere are religious because God is good. The sincere are religious because God is good. And Jesus calls his followers not to do their religion for the praise of people. Look at verse three. He says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And he says uh, similar things. Notice that, that last phrase there. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. He says the same thing about fasting and about praying. Don't seek to be noticed by people, but do it sincerely for God and you will be rewarded. Now, he, Jesus wants us to desire what God has to offer instead of desiring the praise of people. When we think of that word reward, sometimes that can throw us a little bit. Um, oftentimes we'll think of something material like money. Um, but I don't think that's the kind of reward Jesus is speaking of here. We don't serve God for the love of money. We don't serve God to get rich. Think of two people who are deeply in love. For them, the reward of their love is not a, a new car or, or a bag of cash. If they really love each other, I know some people marry for money, but if they really love each other, the reward is marriage. The reward is getting to do life together. That's the reward of their love. Not all rewards are piles of shiny yellow metal or stacks of printed green paper. Jesus, though he doesn't go into detail as to what the reward is, for the one who truly loves God, the greatest rewards will have to do with being close to God, with doing life, so to speak, with God forever. As the old hymn goes, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise, thou mine inheritance, now and always. This is the type of love Jesus is appealing to. The sincere are religious because they love God and because God is good. They do what they do, including their religious activity, because they believe that God is good and that true joy and fulfillment are not found in, in the smiles of the crowd, but they're only found in God. What we need to see here is that it's all based on faith in God. That's what's really happening in these verses. In very practical ways, Jesus is calling us to faith. As Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it is impossible to please him, to please God. For whoever would draw near to God, we want to be close to God. We must first believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So believing that God is worth living for and that those who trust in him will not be put to shame. We won't be losers in the end. Who you believe is worth living for is who you'll end up living for. 
many people live for themselves because ultimately they think that by being selfish, that's how they're going to find happiness. That's that their faith is in the, the rewards of selfishness, not in God. Do you believe that God rewards those who seek him? Do you really believe that, that God has something better to offer us than anything this world can give? If you really believe that, that will change everything. That will change the way you live. That'll change the way you give, the way you pray, the way you fast. It'll change your life. This is so important to realize. We don't avoid hypocrisy merely by doing some behavior modification, changing some of the external behaviors. Trim the tops of weeds and they will soon return. We've got to get at the root of why our hearts are prone to hypocrisy. We've got to address the problem at the heart level. What am I believing that's leading me to act in this way? What am I believing that's causing me to think so much about what other people think of me and, and live my life based on that? Seeing God as good, believing that he is worth it, coming to love him more than you love yourself, this is the first step. We must be sincere in heart before God before we'll ever be sincere in our actions. So if you're listening this morning and you realize that what makes you tick, what you live for, isn't really God, but rather something else, such as what people think of you. You know, if the Holy Spirit is convicting you of living for self and serving yourself, then confess that to God. Confess that, that misplaced faith, that misplaced love to God. Tell him about it. Own up, own up to it. Ask for his forgiveness. Maybe you realize that you don't really love God but that your God, the one that you really live for, is actually yourself. What you need is a miracle. You need a, a radical heart change that will help you to start to see God for who he is and love him for who he is and see that he's worth living for. You need to be born again. And the first step to, to becoming saved and becoming converted is to realize that we have fallen short, that we don't have what it takes, that we cannot save ourselves. But what we need is a miracle, that only God can, can do the miracle that we need in order for us to be saved. Our only hope is that God would look upon us with mercy and forgive us. And because Jesus died on the cross, specifically for sinners, Jesus said, I didn't come to save the righteous, but sinners to call sinners to repentance and that that includes self-righteous hypocritical sinners like like us such sinners can be forgiven and saved from the punishment that we rightly deserve this is the good news this is the gospel that god so loved the world so loved us sinners that he sent his only begotten son and god the son came as a man 
humbling himself, living a, a perfect life, and then taking our place on the cross, the place where we deserve to be, punished for our wickedness. There he hung, fastened there not only by nails, but by love. And he died there for us so that we could be restored to a right relationship with God and to a love that will never end if we will believe. And then Jesus rose from the dead and he will not leave us in the grave. Those of us who trust in Christ will be raised to endless life with him and endless joy with him. So if you are not a Christian this morning, if, you, if you've realized that you're, you've really just been living for yourself all your life, then, then own up to that and tell God about that and, and confess your sin before him and trust in him. Believe on him. Believe that he is better, that he is worth living for, and that only Christ will truly satisfy, and that only he can save you. You know, his love is better than the shallow applause of the crowd. And this is love, the Bible says, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Hypocrites are religious in order to look good. The sincere are religious because God is good. Before we close, here are some practical things that we can do to root out the, the hypocrisy that we may see within ourselves and to become more sincere. And as I mentioned, first of all, if you're not a Christian, come to Christ, believe on him, ask him to change you. You cannot change yourself. If you are a Christian this morning, you have trusted in Christ, uh, it's important for us to recognize that you know, we've not arrived. <laughs> Though we've trusted in Christ, um, we still have sin uh, that we have to battle this side of eternity. God has forgiven us of the guilt of sin and the punishment of sin. We don't have to fear that anymore. But he does call us to fight the presence of sin in our lives by the power that he gives us, the power of his own spirits. And so recognize that you probably still wrestle with hypocrisy from time to time. I know I do. Recognize that, that there are times when we care way too much about what, what people are thinking about us. We don't care enough about what God thinks of us. Secondly, pray. Ask God to search your, your spiritual heart. Ask the great physician to remove the tumors of hypocrisy wherever he finds them. Be open to his prescription and his searching and his conviction. You know, keep in mind that God uses his word as his searchlight to search our souls. And as we read his word, we come to see, you know, among other things, among, you know, besides encouragement, we also get to see areas that are, that need some work. And we see that God is, is with us to help us, you know, be open to other Christians who might, it might confront you from time to time. It might encourage you, you know, in love. It might speak into your life and, and correct you when needed. Be open to correction because none of us have arrived and we all, we all have a ways to go. So listen to fellow church members 
and, and prayerfully consider what they say as they exhort you. Third, think about who you are most tempted to impress. It might be other church members. It might be people that you don't necessarily even like. Uh, I know for me, uh, something that has been difficult at times is, you know, Christians who disagree with me on doctrine. You know, they're, they're a brother and sister in Christ, but we don't see eye to eye on this or that, you know, secondary uh, belief. And the temptation there is to kind of uh, boost myself up, even in, even in roundabout ways, to talk up those that are like from my group, from my church, from my tribe, so to speak, and, uh, you know, how, to, to show them how spiritual we are. And, and I've been guilty of that before, and I've had to confess that to God. So be aware of, of those who you are trying to impress, those you're trying to, that you may be tempted to, to one-up or to compete with. Be, be aware of those people and ask God to help you not care so much about what they think. Fourth, as Jesus says in verse six, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. So notice he says, pray to your father. Don't give a fine speech for others or even for yourself when you pray. You know, I've caught myself at times uh, trying to use, you know, spiritual sounding language Nobody's around. It's just me and God. And, and yet I'm trying to sound all, all, you know, eloquent. And we just need to remember who we're talking to. We're not trying to impress ourselves with how spiritual we are. We're talking to the king of the universe, our father, who sees the depths of our hearts and loves us anyways because of Christ. Fifth, Pray in private far more than you pray in public. You know, look for opportunities to get alone with God and to talk to him, you know, where there's not going to be distraction, where there's not going to be, uh, you know, you're not going to be tempted to think about what others might be thinking about you. Get alone with God and, and really focus on who he is, who you're talking to without a distraction. And if you do pray in public, you know, as in a prayer meeting setting, if you're, if you're leading the church in prayer, realize, uh, you know, if you realize that you're thinking too much about what others think, then confess that to God. Ask him to help you to pray. And then by the strength that he gives, focus your thoughts on who he is so that you can truly pray to your father and not pray for, uh, you know, in front of people, but that you can lead them and together you can really talk to God and focus on God. Work to, to focus your thoughts on who he is, and there won't be room in your mind for what other people are thinking. Sixth and last of all, as Jesus said in verse three, he said there, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. What he's basically what he's saying there is, uh, you know, of course, don't give to be seen by others, but don't even keep records in your own mind. <laughs> of your good deeds. All that we have done, all the good we've done and all the good that we, were, we will ever, ever be able to do cannot begin to repay the love that God has shown us in Christ. It can't even compare. So don't keep track of your hours, so to speak, how much you've done for Jesus. You know, um, some truck drivers 
are paid by the mile, don't keep track of your spiritual mileage, how far you've gone for Jesus. We do well instead to return to the foot of that bloodstained cross and remember what he's done for us and to, to look upon his love and to be so overwhelmed by that that we will remember that all we can do is nothing compared to the love that he's shown us. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. May the Lord help us to examine our hearts. May he help us to be sincere through and through. Help us to remove all hypocrisy and love Jesus sincerely, believing that he is better than the applause of the crowd. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you know our hearts. You know that, Lord, I'm sure that each one of us have areas of, of sin, areas where we think too much of ourselves, too much of what others are thinking of us. Lord, help us. We are weak. We thank you for the forgiveness that you've shown us in Christ, that we don't have to pay the the penalty for these sins. We thank you for your patience with us. And we thank you for the promise that you give us that you are going to help us overcome. That you're going to help us sincerely follow you in faith. And we pray all of these things, asking your help this week in Jesus' name. Amen.